Hey, club members. What club? The Carolina Outdoor Club. Welcome to the membership. Bill Barty on this side of your radio dial. And Sergeant at Arms and Membership Director Wes Lawson on this side. And Vice President of the Fan Club, TJ the DJ Boggs, making it all happen over on the other side with a hearty salute. When you're driving through the mountains of western North Carolina and you see the flowing streams and rivers when you're on a hike or maybe the creek alongside the trails making those nice, relaxing nature noises, do you ever think of what's living in there? Are you asking me specifically? Because I, I have all kinds of questions. <laughs> We're going to answer. We're going to ask, not answer. We're going to get mm-hmm. them answered yeah. as we bring on our next guest. Because he knows the answers to all these things. Plus, if you're listening to us prior to trout season, right. which is getting ready to start up, that is uh, outdoor drive time at its best in the springtime. Mm-hmm. If you're up in the Wilson Creek Gorge area or it, anywhere in one of our national parks, the Smokies and that sort of thing. Jake Rash is the cold water research coordinator for the North Carolina Wildlife Resource Commission, where he assists with the coordination of applied research and management of the state's trout resources. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that means he knows where the big fish are stocked in western North Carolina, and you, the listener, are about to find out from Jake right now. Jake, welcome to the Carolina Outdoors. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the, the chance to chat with you. Well, let's jump in. First of all, will you clarify the seasons that are happening uh, in trout land right now? Because uh, hatchery-supported waters are closed, I think, here in the month of March, but they are b- about to ap- open up rapidly, 1st of April. Did I get that right, or will you correct me and give us the breakdown? No, you got that exactly right. Uh, right now, our hatchery-supported waters are, are closed, but they open up on what's you know known as opening day, which is the first Saturday in April. So this year, that's going to fall on April 2nd, and at 7 a.m., those waters open up, and folks can get out and enjoy uh, all those resources uh, at that at that time. So that's that's sort of the big one coming up, that opening day on hatchery-supported waters. So talk to us about that uh, compared to wild trout waters. Those are open 12 months of the year. Yeah, that's right. And one of the, you know, North Carolina is amazing for a lot of reasons, but just sort of going back to your intro about driving along and looking at the water and wondering what's in there, uh, that's, that's something where we really shine to with the amount of water and the diversity of waters. And so they are just thousands of miles of trout streams in even acres of lakes that that are part of uh the north carolina wildlife resources commission's public mountain trout waters program and in there there's waters that we stock like uh the hatchery supported waters that we we just mentioned plus delayed harvest trout waters which we we stock and then uh they're currently uh open right now and to catch and release angling and then there's just all of these wild trout water resources where these populations are kind of growing and reproducing on their own and and we don't have to stock and so those fisheries are out there uh where where folks can you know you can hike to high elevation waters to look for brook trout or chase brown trout at lower elevations or there's there's numerous streams of wild rainbow trout as well so 
yeah, North Carolina is is full of diversity, and and there's everything from those stock streams to to those wild fish that are out there for folks to 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 look for. Now, Jake, you mentioned you know we have thousands of miles of these these streams and rivers to deal with. How is the stocking schedule kind of created? How do, how is it determined which river or which section gets stocked when and how frequently? And then I have a question after that about the fish in particular, but that's going to be a sure. little bit more discombobulated. <laughs> I look forward to it. Yeah, good. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Uh, so uh, the there's the water's obviously spread out across the the mountain region, and and within that whole mountainous area, we we kind of have management districts that have uh, biologists in them, and so those biologists work with their local resources to to understand you know the conditions of that system, right? So the temperature habitat, all those sorts of things to figure out how many fish it might hold and then how long those fish might be able to be stocked in there. Mm. Uh, trout being cold cold water animals uh, need to uh, subside those stockings you know, before the water gets, gets too warm. And then on top of that, there's uh, usage patterns and, and all. And, and so you kind of take all of those factors together, you know, how many fish can you put in, how long can you put them in, how much usage is taking. Is, is a resource seeing, then um, the biologists work to figure out, you know, the when and the where and the numbers. And uh, certainly all of these hatchery-supported systems are going to be stocked uh, before opening day, so there's fish there for folks when they, when they uh, get out there that first Saturday in April. Uh, but then beyond that, it's, it's, it's working to coordinate with our, our fish production staff because they're they're having the, to work out of our, our hatcheries and drive all over the, the western region. So it's a pretty integrated um, uh, puzzle that kind of comes together in the end. And, and we've, we've tried to help folks out and understand when and, and, and those, those, those uh, seasonal efforts and, and uh, the fish runs themselves by putting information on our website that talks specifically about stocking dates and and even talks about uh, you know some of the numbers of fish that are going in there as well. So we're we're definitely trying to help folks get a better sense of that, so they can plan their trips. Uh, particularly, you know, say coming from the Piedmont heading to the mountains, you want to make sure there's some fish there if you're going to make that trip. Jake Rash, before Wes asks his uh, uh, discombobulated question, let me ask my own because what you just said makes perfect sense. But last August, uh, 2021. Western North Carolina, we had a massive storm that came through and created a lot of damage, not only to the fish hatcheries that stocked many of the streams, but, uh, you know, remade a lot of Western North Carolina's trout streams. How does that Mother Nature event affect what's going on? Um, we know it affected fall of 21 stockings and fishing. Um, what about spring of 2022? Are there any uh, remaining ramifications from that August storm into this year? Yeah, and and that's where you get into you know putting the puzzle together with all the pieces that you've got that go in that that ultimately make what looks like our our program and the stocking efforts and and what what gets stocked and where. And the amazing part there was the considerable damage that happened at our largest uh, production facility, the Bobby and Setzer State Fish Hatchery, there at at Brevard. Uh, and just that's just a testament 
to, to staff and the incredible people that are committed to this work um, and, and their careers, them pulling together and being able to, to get that back up online, get it up and going, and then and scrambling to get enough fish to keep the DH seasons going and then to have us ready here for uh, this coming spring for the, D, the delayed har- DH being delayed harvest and then the hatchery-supported uh uh, numbers as well. So uh, the fish, compo- the species compositions, meaning the brook, brown, and rainbow, may be a little different because historically we we typically stock at 40% brook, uh, 40% rainbow, and 20% brown. Those may be a little off just because they had to get um, the fish into the facility that they could, but the numbers will be there. So when anglers go out to fish, they shouldn't notice a difference uh, numbers-wise versus what they have experienced in the past. And, again, that's that's really a testament to those those committed staff at the hatcheries working hard to overcome a significant hurdle to get us back up and going and, and getting these resources uh, stocked the way they have been. So, you know, Jake, I think we all can appreciate the beauty of a brook trout or the size and aggression of a brown trout and just the fun of a rainbow Within those three different species of of trout, and I'm really getting out of my depth really quickly here, so I'm gonna you're gonna have to throw me a lifeline here. Within those three, are there other sort of variants or subvariants species, whatever the t- the case may be, that that does better? Like, is there a kind of a brook trout or a a hatchery that produces a better brown, or are we just kind of getting what we can and putting into the water and hoping for the best? Yeah, yeah. Well, that uh, that is a good question. Uh, let's let's start at the top of the watershed. Let's start with brook trout. Okay. Um, and so, as our only native trout, you know, brook trout are the they're they're our trout. You mm-hmm. know, North Carolina's yeah. trout, the one that that has been here. And so, we do a ton of work to understand those populations uh, where they're. Where, where they're at, and then also kind of what they are, because way back in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, you know, a lot of land use activities uh, did considerable impacts to them, and then a lot of stockings started trying to bring those pretty little fish back, and and so what we're trying to learn is how much hatchery influence is across our our waters, and so. We've kind of got our, our native brook trout, and then there's some wild brook trout populations that have had some historic influence from, from stockings. You know, today we don't stock on top of our wild brook trout populations. We definitely try to, to, to leave them alone in that regard and, and, and to conserve them. And so uh, that's, you know, when you think about brook trout, that's kind of what's what we're, we're looking at. Uh, and as far as rainbow trout go, yeah, there's there's all kinds of different strains that are that are produced, and they have different characteristics, and and it's and it's sort of it's you know pretty pretty commercially available, and and uh, in a brown trout, you know similar similar matter, and so what what we do, or we we maintain lines within our program, and uh, the hatchery staff works to to see how they're performing. Um, and that's you know not that's not just in the 
in the production facilities, but then when we get them out and into the wild as well. And so what, what you're trying to do is maintain those lines and the integrity of those lines to keep putting a good, a good product out. And so it's, it's, it's similar to, to other sort of animal husbandry practices where if you find something that works, uh, you want to try to try to stick with it. I feel better now. So within within a watershed, within a river or a creek or a stream, that's a really incredible kind of microcosm of activity. And you hear people talk about, you know, if I see this fish, I'm not going to see others. And one in particular that's really endemic to our, to our waters is the war paint shiner. And they'll say, well, if, if those show up, then the trout fishing is done. What's your take on that? Uh, that's interesting. Um, a lot of times you'll run into those when the waters are, you know, kind of uh, a little bit, a little bit warmer. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, you know, a lot of the delayed harvest streams are probably where folks will, will encounter those, particularly if you're, you know, you're fishing, uh, you know, uh, a dropper or a midge or something, uh, maybe even pheasant tail or something that they can, They've got big mouths, and so they're oh, yeah. pretty aggressive, and they'll they'll get after them. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the trout are gone. Uh, it might just mean that that you know those war paints are there and, and actively feeding. Uh, but but uh, that's kind of the good thing is you can keep keep moving on upstream and and uh, and keep trying to get into to a trout. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty. There, there's some other. You know other animals or other fish that you can come across as as well, but uh, but the trout are they're likely there, but uh, you know they may not be feeding at that time. Jake Rash is the Coldwater Research Coordinator for the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission. He's joining Wes Lawson and Bill Barty here on the Carolina Outdoors. We're glad that everyone is joining us, no matter how you're listening to us, whether it be via the airwaves of WBT Radio early on a Saturday morning, or maybe you're listening to us via podcast, highlights of the Carolina Outdoors. We celebrate you being here. And, Jake, I'm going to revert back to what you were talking about a little bit earlier about the uh, stockings of these fish. I'm still doing the math, though, 40% brook, 20%. Besides for that and my lack of mathematics, uh, tell us about the national parks because does the North Carolina Re- Resource Commission, not North Carolina Wildlife Resource Commission, oversee places like the Great Smoky Mountain National Park water or maybe even the Cherokee lands up there? Are you in charge of that as well as the rest of the western North Carolina state waters? No, we are not. So the so the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the Eastern Band of, of Cherokee, they uh, they have their own uh, management staff and management programs. Uh, but one of the awesome things about this area and and really trout management in the southeast in general is there's this amazing collaboration among all of the different entities and so we're working with them uh to discuss ideas and 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 share what we're doing and and learning what they're doing and finding ways to uh you know uh, complement you know each other and efforts along the way so although they they might be you know have their own set of management goals and and approaches we're, we're in contact with them and and and, and and with other states as well, just to, to understand what's going on and and uh, to keep keep working towards trout management in this area, which is which is really 
you know, I'm, I'm really thankful for because it, it helps us all share ideas and, and hopefully, you know, ultimately make, uh, make better decisions. First Saturday in April is opening up hatchery-supported trout waters. Anglers from all over head into North Carolina to participate. Many people have been doing it together for generations. And, Jake, not that we're trying to trip you up with any of our questions, but, man, you're batting them down like a like an all-star baseball player. Let me see if I can mess you up with this one. At Jesse Brown's, where Wes Lawson and myself uh, hang our hat through the week, we have had uh, in the fly rod community a bunch of musky anglers who mm. are coming in there. How close does that fall uh, in the Inlands Fishery Division and as a cold, uh, cold water research coordinator? Musky, does that fall towards you? And what's the status of musky in North Carolina? Yeah, well, that that's a... Uh, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I was I was looking curveball, but uh, you didn't quite get me get me swinging on that one yet. But I got uh, one more coming up, so get yeah, ready. Okay, all right. I won't get too far ahead of myself. But uh, but that is something that's um, honestly uh, a little outside of my purview. I'm focused mostly on trout. However. Um, muskie's a, a big part of our western region uh, fisheries, and there's a lot of work that's that's ongoing actually. And uh, particularly, you know, uh, some of the staff uh, are working to try to better understand, uh, you know, some of the natural rec- recruitment, i.e., you know, are these fish uh, spawning in the rivers and then uh, bringing more fish along into adulthood and, and the ranges where people can catch them versus, you know, do we need to stock these systems to maintain catch rates and, and those sorts of things. And, and along with that uh, is a lot of interest um, from the angling public. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's, it's been really cool to see and then, and then working to ensure riverine access the folks that want to fish for them can get on and find them but uh but there's there's definitely individuals that are are more tuned in to that and there's information probably through you know website be a great place for folks to start to look and uh to, to learn more oh man good answer ncwildlife.org is that website jake rash cold water research coordinator for nc wildlife resource commission hey jake you're not just a scientist but you uh think about fish even in your off time you you spend your free time um trying to find fish with monofilament and fly lines besides spending time with your family and all that stuff so we do have a big stumper question coming up for you so, Jake, okay. I know, we're, okay. I know we're, I'm ready. I'm ready. We're, we're getting right toward the end here, but uh, this is just a secret between the three of us. Nobody else is going to know the answer. So, where exactly are the big fish going to be, and when can we find them? Yeah, boy, that is that is a really follow up question. Really... What kind of car do you drive? So, if we see it on the side of the road, we know exactly where to go. We don't want those six inch trout. We want to know where you're putting all that big brood stock. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know that's a that is a really good, uh, really good question, and, <laughs> and and so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to answer that. So uh, I'm I'm gonna brag on on the hatchery staff again, and what a phenomenal job they do. Um, our average fish that we stock is about ten and a half inches, and and 
what's really you know great beyond that is about four percent of the fish we stock are over 14 inches so there's a pretty good chance wherever you're going you've got a chance to run into to a really nice really nice fish and uh and so that you know that's uh one of the cool things about about the state with all the opportunities you got a lot of places to try and try to find it now now, if you want to come follow me around, we, we, can, we, we can make that happen, too. But, uh, he drives a Corvette. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I'm pretty I'm pretty stealth uh, whenever I'm moving around, so you might have to work hard. But uh, otherwise, uh, going, going to our website, and in particular, ncwildlife.org slash trout is uh, going to find your stocking schedules. It's going to find interactive maps where you can literally put in where you want to go and get driving directions. And so we're, we're trying to, uh, instead of you having to follow me around, you can, you can get on there and look and plan trips and, and uh, explore yourself. That's a good answer. Maybe we'll do a, a, an episode of the podcast from the field with you. <laughs> Man, Jake Rash, great. thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the Carolina Outdoors. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. I really enjoyed it and, Feel free to, to to let me know uh, if you got any questions or if there's ever anything I can do to, to help out. We appreciate it. We will hit you back. Uh, and off he goes and off we go. But don't worry, we're going to come back on the other side with more of the Carolina Outdoors.